I wonder how many of us are uh, to-do list makers. Do you want to wave at me if you are, if you confess to having a to-do list? And some people are so to-do list-ish, they'll actually add things they've just done so that they, yeah, so they can cross them off. Can you, can you imagine that? Or maybe your calendar f with Microsoft or Google gives you this great message that says, oh, you finished all your tasks for the day and we're grateful for software companies to provide that kind of encouragement. On your to-do list, are there some things that kind of hang on, they linger, you let them be on your to-do list, but for some reason, for a lot of reasons, um, you just don't get around to that thing. And if you, if you are a to-do list person, that will frustrate you to no end because there's that thing that is always there, always left on your to-do list. Today we're looking at James, and uh, as Debbie has already pointed out, in James 4 verse 17, he very clearly says something to us. He says, remember, it is sin to know what you want to do and then not do it. So that's what I want to talk about today is the things that we ought to do and don't do those things. The question is, how serious a matter is that? It would depend, of course, on what the things are. But what James is saying is that the things that we know are right to do, if we don't do those things, it's sin. I was thinking of stories in the Bible in which people didn't do the thing that they were required to do and how important it was actually in, in the scheme of their lives and in the story of the Bible for them to do the, the last thing, you know, the, the outstanding to do. I thought about Naaman. He was the uh, commander of the king of Aram's car, uh, army and was well respected throughout the land, but he had leprosy. And he had a servant girl who had come from Israel and she was quite pleased with her master and how she was treated in his household. And she was sad because he had leprosy. And she said, there's a prophet in, in my land called Elisha and I know he would heal my master's leprosy. So the word comes to Naaman and Naaman you know, makes the connections and Elisha then is willing to um, sort of think about Naaman's situation. And Elisha sends a, a message out to Naaman. He, he doesn't actually come personally. He sends a, a message out and says, you, um, you have to go and you have to dip in the River Nile seven times. And Naaman, you know, had to catch himself and, and ask, I have to do what? And then he said, are not the rivers in my land much more beautiful than the filthy Nile? Um, Abana and Farpar, Farpar. I think is that how you pronounce those two rivers? Uh, and, and he says, I'm not gonna do it. The thing that was being required of him, he wasn't willing to do. And, and he fought, he, he fought the turmoil until his, his aides came to him and said, well, if the man of God had asked you for some different thing or to do some heroic thing, you would have done it. 
But now you won't. You won't do this simple thing that he's requiring to go and dip in the river seven times. And you have to do that thing. And the result of it was that Naaman had a change of heart. He did go and have a swim, and he was cured of his leprosy. Then there was an interesting after story about the servant of Elisha trying to profit from Elisha's healing gift and so on. So we'll leave that for another time. But, but the question of, of Naaman's reluctance is, is an interesting one. Because when we think about him, we think, well, th- that was the thing. That was the only thing that was holding him back from God's blessing, God's provision of healing to him. And yet he was stubbornly resisting it. He, he fought doing the thing that was the right thing to do. And when we look at our, our human sort of sensibilities, isn't it strange sometimes that the thing that we know we ought to do just is really hard to do? It's, it's not as though it's not clear to us what we have to do, what we should do, what's the right thing to do. But there's something in us that's like the Naaman that refuses to do it. You know, maybe it's a matter of saying I'm sorry to someone. Have you ever found that saying I'm sorry about something is the hardest thing in the world to do? To actually utter those words. It's the right thing to do. It's the proper thing to do. And yet we just struggle. We, we just can't get the motivation to do the right thing. As, as we think about that, I wanted to examine what James means, that this is sin. I mean, that's pretty strong language, isn't it? To say that if I know what I ought to do and don't do it, that's actually sin. That's not just sad, that's not just deficient, that's not just weakness, it's actually a sin. So if if we kind of um, zoom out from the word sin, and just remember what sin really is. And for some of us, if we grew up in the uh, uh, high church, we would have been familiar with the general confession. And part of the general confession says this, that uh, we have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. It's a, it's a lovely um, prayer, and it, it rolls off the tongue so nicely we have left undone those things which we ought to have done and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. I think generally if we were to ask what sinning is, we would say that sin is doing things that we should not do. That's clear enough, right? If, if, if we have a Bible, we find the Ten Commandments, we find the law, we find the teachings of Jesus, we would agree that it's, it's sin not to do the things that we're commanded to do, but even more understandable, um, to do the things we're forbidden to do would, would be very sinful. That, that would you know, merit um, various marks against us. But, but in the prayer of confession, along with what James says, the whole notion of sin gets to be not just the things we do that we shouldn't do, but the things that we don't do that we should do. And I think we don't really 
focus there very often, do we? Um, sinning is not just a violation by our behavior of the law. Sinning is not reaching the aspirations that are ours and maybe prompted by the law. And James is saying that's all in, in the bundle of sin. So think as well as the things that you shouldn't do about the things that you should do and you will agree with God's testimony that you are sinful because not only do you perhaps you know overstep the mark but you miss the mark and that is something that makes us just as culpable as trespassing the mark so trespassing means doing what we know we're not supposed to do but God says you're also culpable you're also um convicted, if you like, by the fact that you don't do the things you should do. And, and that's just as serious, just as heavy a matter as doing things you shouldn't do. Romans 3.23 is a verse we go to many, many times as we think through sort of the, the way of salvation as we understand it. And Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned. Um, and maybe in that first part we would say all have sinned maybe just means all of us have done things that we ought not to have done. But the second part of it says, and fallen short of the glory of God. One of the um, words for sin, theologically and, and even linguistically, is the same as being used of, of a bow and arrow, and the arrow falling short of the target. Not overshooting the target or not shooting the wrong target, but just not being able to have have you know the energy to get to the to the target and i think that's what that second part of romans 3:23 is about that we fall short of god's glory um, there are things that we ought to do that we can't do and as human beings um, we would perhaps be better off if we could just confess that about ourselves that the things that we aspire to do there's something in us that hinders us from doing those things. You know, we're, we're into an election campaign, and the election campaign will be replete with promises of things that we will do, or we will not do, but m more likely the things that I promise I will do. Do you know what will happen afterwards? Have you ever been through an election? The promises fall short. Now, did the politician intend not to do those things? No, somewhere in his most honest of hearts was an intention to do those things. But in his humanity, in his humanness, he wasn't able to get it done. Things that we have wanted to do as a country, we've not been able to get done. And it, it's kind of a characteristic of the human family, that there are things that we know are the right things and the good things, but we somehow just can't raise ourselves to the standard of performing those right things all the time. We do some right things. We do some good things. But generally speaking, we'd have to agree with Paul in Romans 3.23 
and say, yeah, we, we actually do bad things. But honestly as well, we don't do good things. And we need to confess that. And we need to say that um, just as Paul does, we're, we're kind of wretched beings because what we want to do, like what we know we should do, we can't do. And worse than that, he says, the things that I shouldn't do, I, I just find myself doing all the time. And he, he comes to the point of saying, I, I'm a wretched person. Who's going to deliver me from this? And then he launches into the, the great truths of the justification that comes by faith in Christ. And so the great answer to this dilemma is that when we know Christ, we actually are wired to do the right things. We're, we're actually wired to do the right things. Second uh, Corinthians 5.17 um, says, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And I think well sown through the, the teachings of the New Testament is this understanding that we are new, we have new desires, we have a new nature, we actually are able to do the things that we are not able to do in our sinfulness. So it's as though there are two realms of living or two ways of living. We can either live in the realm of a relationship with God or we can live out of the realm of a relationship with God. And that second one is just the broad category of sin. So sin isn't a, oh my goodness, sort of an issue. Sin is the simple, honest confession that we can't do what we should and we do what we shouldn't. And if anyone wants to argue the case, we can say, really? Do you want to tell me that you don't ever do the things that you shouldn't do? Um, do you want to tell me that you always do the things that you should do? You know, we would be hard-pressed to find anyone who's not deluded who would say, yeah, that's me. We would all say, yeah, there's a problem. So when religion comes along using the word sin, people balk at it. I don't like this idea of sin. Um, it's Victorian, it's antiquated, it's, 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 it's not relevant for today. And you almost want to push back with the rebuttal that says, well, what else is it? So why is it that we can't do the things we know are right to do and we do the things we know are wrong to do? Why is that? If we could just agree that's our condition, what do you call that condition? Do you get better um, with, uh, you know, being well-adjusted, um, dealing with the hem memories and um, injustices of your past, the abuses of the past? Do you, do you, you know, do you just get smarter? And, and then, and no matter what we try, we come up short and we say, still, we would have to admit that we can't always do the right thing and we often do the wrong thing. James says, that's living in the realm of sin. Don't be horrified by the word sin, but just understand that sin is the word that describes a life that does not have its meaning and ability from God. And that God is fully willing to change you 
into the person that will not do the things he or she shouldn't do and will do the things that he or she should do. When do we get there? Well, we're still trapped inside these bodies that are still trapped in a fallen world, in a sinful world, and so we don't get all the way there. Um, We will get all the way there. It'll just be a moment after death that we've gotten all the way there. But the Christian life, the progress of the Christian life should be towards that. And one of the ways that we can sort of slow down and take stock is to go to this verse in James and say, okay, that's pretty plain. Um, What is it that is right to do? And am I doing it? And how many things are there that are going to kind of rush into our minds when we open our our minds to try to think of that and we say, oh my goodness, I'll be deluged with things that I know I should do. Um, so, So where we start is with an understanding that we have the ability to do the right thing at the right time. We, we can't protest to God that we can't, I can't do this. So Naaman couldn't protest to Elisha and say, I can't do that. I cannot do that. Yeah, yes, you can. You, you, you just has, have to be willing to do it. Why do we not do the things that we know are right to do? So if we start with Naaman, maybe it's a matter of pride. And maybe the thing that Elisha is asking Naaman to do is beneath him. He says, the rivers in my country are beautiful rivers, not like that dirty river. Why do I have to go wash myself on that river? Maybe something inside you, and even on your to-do list, is, is kind of an affront to your pride. It, you have to humble yourself a little bit to do this. Maybe you have to be willing to... Um, look less perfect in someone else's eyes if, if you have to go and do that thing. Maybe it's beneath you in terms of who you think you are and what you think you should have to do. And yet, your to-do list that keeps on moving into your um, forefront of, of mind, it's still there. That item is still on the list. I want to take us um, this morning to the prayer of examine and and just say, all right, all of these things, if we assemble them, how can we move forward in in a practical kind of a way? So um, there are two prayers that I'm going to just chat about, mostly the prayer of examine, which we've talked about at length before. And then in, in back of that, let me just remind you of the prayer that I've suggested to you through the summertime from Psalm 92, that in the morning we thank God for his chesed, for his his loving kindness, and in the evening we thank him for his faithfulness. So here's our example. Does God have a to-do list? I I guess maybe he does. But his to-do list is framed by the morning and the evening It's framed, first of all, by his covenant loyalty on which we can count. And then at the end of the day, do you know that God's to-do list is over? He's not left at the end of day saying, I forgot to do this. 
um, or I was too distracted to do that thing. At the end of the day, when we view our walk with God and his involvement in our lives, we would say, well, we counted on in the morning his covenant loyalty, that he would do what he said he would do, has actually proven true. He has done everything that he said he would do. I, I, have, I have nothing on a list that says, God, you didn't do this. Um, my understandings sometimes need to be adjusted and submitted to his, his sovereignty and his purposes and, and all of that. But, but there's the prayer that says, so our example is a God who does what is the right thing to do based on his covenant loyalty and, and then he proves it in his faithfulness. So if we go to the prayer of examine, let me just remind you of, of what that prayer is and then see how it might be a tool that would help us to clear our to-do list even of the hard thing that's the right thing to do. So the prayer of examine is an Ignatian prayer. Ignatius of Loyola was a character from long, long ago and this prayer is part of the spirituality of the Ignatian movement even today and um, usually it's thought of as the prayer that's prayed in the evening, the prayer that's prayed as my day ends. There's nothing that says the prayer of examine is not useful in the morning. There's nothing that says it's not a great prayer to focus a whole retreat on in a day away, walking in the woods, praying. Um, there's nothing to say how it must be used. But if we use it in the evenings, we might just think our way through the prayer like this. The first step is to consider the presence of God. So it's it's a matter of, today they talk a lot about mindfulness and the mindfulness that the Ignatian prayer would, would promote is the mindfulness of God's presence. And isn't it interesting how elusive that mindfulness is? We who call ourselves God's children, we who name ourselves by God's son's name, calling ourselves Christians, can so easily forget the God relationship that we have. When it's going to the gas station to fill up the tank, it's not on my mind. When I go buy groceries, it's not on my mind. And, and it's, it's only when I sort of come back to some things that I have deliberately labeled religious or faith that then I go, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So the whole notion of the, the presence awareness that that mindfulness is to say that we live our lives in the presence of God. And so the prayer of examine uh, takes just a slice of life and says, right now, I want to be as present to God and for him to be as present to me as can possibly be. So what does it mean? It's to realize that God is here and with us. God is listening to us. God is speaking to us. And many times the only problem we have is the absence of silence where we don't have the stillness of life to just stop and say, is God present? What is God saying? And as we listen to God, as we see God, even as we look at nature, as we look at the beauty around us, we are present in God's presence. 
The second thing is the step of gratitude, is simply to say, what am I thankful for? So the way to begin um, a, a prayer um, that's gonna go somewhere is, is to say, what am I thankful for? And have I been explicitly thankful about those things? Remember again, that what God has against us is that we neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks. It, it's, it's, it's a very surprising second clause, right? He has against us that we didn't glorify him as God. Yeah, but didn't give thanks. God is upset with humankind because we did not give thanks. So thankfulness is to say, what is it? Even in just thinking back over a day that I have lived, what am I thankful for in that day? Who am I thankful for? What am I thankful to God that happened? What am I thankful to God that didn't happen? Where, where is my, my sort of thankfulness quotient at, at the end of a day's living my life? The third is the step of emotion which is sort of to say, and how am I feeling in my relationship with God, in my response to the activities and the events of my life? What am I feeling these days? Um, I was talking with someone this week, and he was just talking about uh, just a, a feeling of anxiety, a feeling of unease, a feeling of worry, a feeling of distraction. And I think we oftentimes feel that, and particularly these days, many people are just feeling the weight of this pandemic. We, we, we feel as though it's, there's another shoe ready to drop. We feel as though we don't seem to be getting out of this. And, and, and so we're feeling anxious, we're feeling um, distracted. So it, it's important for us to understand how we're feeling. And as things on the to-do list get in the category of hard to do the right thing, it's a good idea to ask, what is it emotionally that is, is my response to this thing that I know is the right thing to do? Why don't I want to do it? Why did Naaman not want to go into a dirty river? What was it? What is it that holds me back from doing the right thing? What, what am I dreading? What are my worst suspicions? Or what are my greatest hopes if I, if I could find myself doing the right thing? What's my emotional sort of state? The step of omission is to say, having looked back over this day, having acknowledged God's presence, having been thankful, um, having been just disquieted a little bit about the thing that I should do, but I haven't do, haven't done. What is that thing? And I, I sat this morning on, on my porch, and there are two things that I know I'm omitting. They're, they are two sins of omission. They're two connections I need to make. And I've known that for the last several weeks. But for whatever reason, I've... I've hesitated, I've been afraid to, or I've been um, whatever it is. So, so it, it's not going to be a deluge 
of all the things in the world that you need to fix. But it is going to be the work of the Holy Spirit to say, there is that one conversation you need to have. There is that one thing you said you would do, and you've not. If you don't do that, it's not okay. If you don't do that, that's you kind of wandering into the realm of sinfulness, out of, out of the pleasure and glory of God. It's, it's not going to condemn you to hell, but it's going to say, wait a minute, are you not a new creation? And do you not have the ability to do the right thing? If James calls on us to do it, we are able to do it. And then the final step is to decide to do the thing that we know we should do tomorrow. N not with a procrastinated tomorrow, but if my head is on the pillow, it's to say when I wake up tomorrow, the first thing on my mind, the first thing on my agenda is going to be to do the thing that is the thing that I should do that is the right thing so that I walk back into the path of God's pleasure and, and God's purpose in me and, and for me. The Psalms all around Psalm 92 are all on the same theme. They're about singing with joy, making music with joy, thanking God, and they always come back to because he is that faithful God to his covenant, his loving kindness just reigns and his faithfulness supports his loving kindness or his loving kindness supports and prompts his faithfulness. And David just went over it and over it, sang about it, wrote poems about it. Um, psalm uh, 92 is actually called a psalm for the Sabbath. So even though this is not the Jewish Sabbath, the Old Testament, it's our Sabbath, right? Psalm 92 says, I will sing of your covenant loyalty, your chesed in the morning, and your faithfulness at night. Because one of the most delightful things is that God does the right thing. He just does the right thing all the time, even by us. So maybe that thing needs to work its way off your to-do list and you'll be uh, a freer person tomorrow because you can actually clear your list and somebody in some cyberspace is going to say, good for you, you have no more tasks on your to-do list. I hope that's true.